0: For the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, in his days prolong, yet surely I know it, that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There's a vanity which is done upon the earth. That there be just men whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. And again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Then I committed mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that, he, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. When I apply my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also that is neither day nor night, see so his sleep with his eyes. Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther though a wise man think to know it, yet, he, yet shall he not be able to find it. Well, tonight, I'll be preaching on the business of man and the work of God. He saw that from verses 16 and 17. He applied his heart to know wisdom to see the business that was done upon the earth. In verse 17, then I beheld all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. So far as we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen where the preacher is looking out at life and thinking about what life has to offer. Can you find happiness in the things of this world? Well, it seems like that for a while, but then he finds out it's vanity. Can you find happiness in money? Well, for a while, and then that can cause its own problems. Can you find it in pleasure? Well, for a while, but that causes its own problems. And and everywhere he looks, every street that he goes down, it's a dead end. Vanity. The way of wisdom to find eternal joy and happiness. He goes down that street and it's a dead end. Unhappiness. He went the way of, of possessions. A dead end. He went down the way of pleasure, and that was a dead end. Dead in every which direction. And so in the chapter 7, we had some proverbs about how to live in such a, a world that's turned upside down. But there are proverbs that we have that, that that God tells us how to walk in wisdom in this sin-cursed world. And who is this wise man? Who is as the wise man, who knoweth the interpretation of the thing, it said in, in verse number one. And so now, in chapter number eight, he's kind of drawing from all that has been laid there before and both the proverb and just the state of things of how it is for men in, on the earth and how it seems, how it ought to be, but how it goes sometimes and he just doesn't understand it. And he sees the business of men, but also he sees the work of God. And so you have our business that we do, how we should live in this world, how we ought to walk in wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And it would seem like if you do, as far as people think anyway, if you do good, good things will happen. And if you do bad, bad things will happen. But he looks at this world and it just doesn't always work out that way. And so we have those two things pulling at us here in chapter number eight. So we're going to look at it um, in the four different sections that I think this is broken up into. And we'll see it in the terms of of the business of man first and then how we can um, bring that alongside the work of God. So first we see the business of a citizen in verses 2 through 4. He counseled, I counsel thee, he says, to keep the king's commandment and in regard to the oath of God, be not hasty to go out of his sight, stand not in the evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of the king is, there is power, and who may say unto him, what doest thou? And you can tell whenever there's tricky passages in commentaries, um, sometimes they'll have many pages devoted to the trickiest of passages or the hardest to understand, and sometimes they just skip it all together. Well, this section, um, there was one I, uh, commentary I looked at didn't even have anything on chapter 8. <laughs> it just went 7-9. So there, there's a lot of different opinions as to this, but what we have here is a counsel of the preacher. So the preacher is going to give us some counsel about the king's commandment, that we are to keep it. Um, now, keep can mean to observe or um, obey or listen to. It can also mean guard or protect or keep within the bounds. And so um, it could either mean to obey the king or if you have to stand before the king, um Speak truthfully and wisely, uh, keeping, trying to keep the king in within the bounds, or or keep him, or guard what he says as an advisor. Probably, um, it's probably in the obeying idea of it, but the end result is good either way. The counsel is to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard to the oath of God. And so, what it appears to be is that we ought to obey the king obey the authorities as far as we can. In a perfect world, in a perfect kingdom, the king would be just. The government would be just and righteous. Wouldn't it be nice to have a righteous government that every law that is passed was a good law and every decision that was made was a good decision and every judge that passed the law had a righteous judgment, and every speech the king gave was a clean and pure and holy speech. Wouldn't that be not, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? To to say, you know, my my king does righteous, my my king does well, or my government is righteous, my government uh, does what is right. Well, he says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment. And that regarded the oath of God. And I believe that is in reference to the oath that the children of Israel made to, to walk in the ways of God and to walk under his covenant and to keep his law. So if if Israel had a king and and the king obeyed the covenant, and the king obeyed the law, and the people Listen to the counsel of the king, and the people kept the king's law because the king was keeping the, God's law when the people would rejoice. That's what Solomon said in Proverbs. Um, the, the righteous, uh, or when they're in charge, the people will rejoice. Um, that's Paul even says for us in uh, Romans chapter 13 that we have a, ought to have an eye towards... Um, Um, obedience of of our authorities. Not that we should be uh, rebels, not that we should be um, constantly bucking against those in authority. It says in Romans 13, "...let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God." And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. But thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have the praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou will do which is evil. Be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but for conscience' sake. For this cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues tribute to whom a tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So, according to God's law, we obey the authorities. But notice it says, Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in the evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say unto him, What doest thou? So here's the flip side of that. What if we don't have a righteous king? What if we don't have a king that, that walks in all the ways of God? And you've got one that does whatever pleases him. And so he says not to be hasty to go out of his sight. Now, the, those that think it should be that uh, in, the, in the view of advising the king, and they say, well, stand your ground, do what's right, stand your ground. But this, uh, the other side of that would be that you got to be careful you got to be careful around someone who doesn't have anybody over top of him. Somebody that can just, who does whatever pleases him. Especially if one is wicked. So the counsel was to keep the king's commandment and stand not in an evil thing. So that's easy if the king is righteous, but what happens when the king is unrighteous? This is where it comes to vanity. Here we have the, the charge that we, we, are to, we are under the government that God has ordained, as the text says. But God says, don't stand in the evil thing. We must obey God. And what happens whenever the evil thing is what the king commands? So here we have that, that vanity and vexation of spirit. I'm reading a book about the um, early Christians in the um, first couple centuries. And one of the most wicked of the the Roman emperors despised Christians. And he would go from town to town and he would find Christian women and and defile them. He'd go in and, and kidnap them and have his way with them. And the, the husband tries to stop it, he'd kill him. She tries to stop it, she'd kill, he'd kill her. But he did this everywhere he went. And uh, what, what were you to do? Well, many, many women um, faced persecution. Um, they were beaten and tortured and put to death. And they'd rather die, they said, than to, than to submit to this wicked uh, wicked emperor. One husband, I read, uh, said, well, we're going to keep the king's commandment. We're going to do what the emperor says. I don't have any choice in the matter. And he handed his wife over to the emperor. And she told him that she'd be outside in just one minute. She had to go back inside before uh, she went with him. And she went and... Uh, uh, killed herself because she said she'd rather she'd rather die than to to go along with this pagan king. That's the vanity of this life that we have business to as a citizen to, to follow God but what happens whenever the king is or to follow the government but only as far as the government walks with the Lord and then we must not uh, stand and do the evil thing. That's the business of a citizen. And that's the the vanity of this life, that there's wicked people in power. You have the business of justice and discernment. Next, in verses 5 through 9. Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. So this is a proverb. When you keep the law, you won't feel the punishment of the law. And that's what Paul said, wasn't it, in Romans 13. Romans 13 that he's a terror to the evil. So if you do good, um, he's supposed to reward you. If you do evil, then you're going to get the, the punishment of the evil. And he said, so whoever keeps the commandment shall feel no evil thing. That's what Paul said. A wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. So a wise man looks at the situation, not only the law, but looks at the timing of the law. To obey the king of kings is always Right? But this world is not always right. Obeying God doesn't guarantee that you won't face the persecution of God-hating men. The point here is to keep the law and discern the time and the judgment. There's a time for everything, including judgment and justice and law. I think the wisdom here is saying that the timing is everything. Timing is everything. Whenever I was uh, 16, I got a, a ticket because my tags had expired in my car. And uh, I, the police officer told me to go to court, show my tags, and then I wouldn't uh, get a ticket or anything. So I sat in there, and I was a nervous wreck, and, and the first person that got up, he uh, the judge sentenced them to uh, the maximum uh maximum jail cert time. The next person got up, he found them guilty and they got the max jail time. And the next person, they got the max jail time. And I was, I was getting nervous. I was, of all the times I have to come here to, to court, he's going to, he's going to roll here. And the police officer told me I wasn't going to get a fine. But I thought the way things are going, I might've had the wrong court date, but, uh, he just, uh, he gave me a hard time The judge did, And, um, you know, didn't get me a fine, but I was thinking, boy, this is bad timing. I've come here to the court, and the judge is in a bad mood, and now um, I'm going to get the max fine like everybody else is. That that the the police officer told me that it wasn't going to be a big deal, that it, it's going to be dismissed, but but now he's in a he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and now this timing is off, and I think that uh, that's what this is one thing that's pointing to here, the wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment, because to every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. Getting a good ruling in your favor might come down to the time that you ask or what's going on around you. Man's court and the king's judgment is not always perfectly balanced. Therefore, the misery of man is great, knowing that justice and judgment can be capricious. That one day you might, one day you might, um, ask the wrong question at the wrong time. You ever worked at a place where, um, somebody just messed up on the wrong day that, uh, they they just did the wrong thing at the wrong time and, and that was just the end of it, um, I worked at a place one time and the boss had been, he'd been aggravated with us for several days and it just kept building up and building up and building up and somebody did something that was, uh, they didn't put a tool up or something along those lines, they didn't do anything wrong really, Just, just didn't do something exactly the way, well they got they got it. The, the boss had had enough. That was a straw that broke the camel's back. And they got, um, they, got their, uh, they got tore up one side and down the other. It was just bad timing. But the wise understand this. The wise know that, that there's more than just, sometimes it's more than just right and wrong. Sometimes it comes down to timing and just things going on in the world that we have no control over. How do we know? Well, the fact is you can discern and you can know the fickleness of the heart. But verse 7, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You say, well, I'm going to wait till tomorrow to ask for my raise because it seems like today would be the bad day to ask for one. And you go in tomorrow and you go and ask for your raise and uh, the boss calls you into his office before you can talk to him and say, listen, you really messed up uh, yesterday. You know, you've, you've, uh, you've cost the company all kinds of money. You know, the timing. So who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? The fact is we can discern, we can use just judgment, we can walk in wisdom, but still things are out of our control. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us knows what's going to happen today or tomorrow or any other day. On the one hand, wisdom and discernment can guide us in what to do or what we should say, but only God knows what tomorrow holds. There's all kinds of books that are written to to guide pastors and tell pastors how to to pastor churches. But, But those books are often written by people who are either at one church for 50 years and pretty much can do whatever they want, or... Uh, guys who pastored for two or three years and went to, to writing books and telling everybody else how to do it. Well, who knows what's going to happen in a church or this? You know, one not every church is the same. Not every group of people are the same. You can walk in wisdom. You can try to to do what is right according to the scripture. But who knows what kind of trouble or what kind of situation or scenario is going to arise? Only God. Knows what tomorrow holds. And even if we walk in wisdom, there's that uncertainty that is out there that, that life, from our perspective, might throw us a curveball when we're not expecting. So even wisdom and proverbs for all that's worth and its value and guiding us how to walk in the fear of the Lord, doesn't shape tomorrow or, to, or the future. Proverbs 22.6 is a famous verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now that is true. Training up a child in the way they should go is, is very true, but it's not a guarantee of salvation, and it's not a guarantee of spiritual formation later in life. It doesn't mean that if a child is raised right, then he will he will surely be saved any more than it's a guarantee that a child growing up in church will live to be an old person right train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it well if it's a promise that the child will be saved it's also a promise the child will be old and we also know that doesn't always happen what it is is it's proverb it's uh, it, all things being equal that that what you have control of over a parent is how you raise their child whenever they're young. And training up a child in the way that he should go will root the child and, and form the child. And, and most of the times they will not depart from it. But what this, we don't know what tomorrow holds. For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? We don't know. The Lord may come back tomorrow. Our time to meet the Lord may be tomorrow. We don't know. Verse 8, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he a power of the day of his death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall the wickedness deliver those that are given to it. In our business of justice and discernment, we can do the best that we can, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. Some, some would uh, say that that would be that he that uh, no man has power over the spirit, as in breath or wind, like Jesus said. So Jesus compared um, the new birth and wind in John chapter 3 and verse number 8, where uh, no man knows where, you know, nobody knows where the wind comes from and, and where it goes. And he compares that to regeneration. And, and so, if you think about that, and then Ecclesiastes 11:4 and 5. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that reap regardeth the cloud shall not reap, as thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her child that is with child. And so um, it may be that uh, no one has power over the spirit, or no one has power over the wind to control where it comes from or where it goes, or control over the spirit of of man. No one has control or power over the day of death. We don't have these are all in the hands of God. Neither hath he power in the day of death. That's in God's hands. The day of our birth, the day of our death, that is with the Lord. And so we may plan, we may walk rightly, we may walk wisely, but that doesn't give us any power over things that are outside of our control. That, that these things are set by the Lord God Almighty. And we don't have any more power over that than a soldier would have power to discharge himself when the battle's heating up. Or that wickedness would deliver those who are given over to it. That's what he's saying. We have power over those things. Like a soldier has power as, uh, on D-Day if they had gone up to the, their commanding officer and say, um, yeah, I think I need to take a sick day. Um, I know that we're storming the beaches here, but uh you know, I'm just not my, my belly's hurting a little bit. Well, they don't have power to discharge themselves in the heat of the battle. We don't have power over the wind. We are subject to a great many things under the sun. Wicked the wicked think that. They'll be delivered over by their wickedness, but they don't have any more power to overcome God in their wickedness than, than the soldier that could dismiss himself from war. And so hold on to that thought as we go on a little bit further. So the preacher has seen all this and he's applied it to his heart. All this business done under the sun. All the sin and all the wickedness, all the evil and all the vanity. Verse 14. One man rules. Reverse number 10. You know, he's seen all this wickedness. It's vanity. Vanity. Vexation. Authority doesn't save, wisdom doesn't save, justice doesn't save, leadership doesn't save. Well, now he's looking at business and judgment, and that starts in verse number 10. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so, and this is also vanity. The preacher looked out and saw the wicked being buried life and death comes to all men. The wicked thought that they could get away with it through their wickedness, but he looks out and saw them buried. But notice where he sees them. He saw them coming and going from the holy place. The place where wicked men ought not to be, let alone freely come and go. Coming out of the temple, there's wicked men. In and out, in and out. We read some times in the Old Testament where men would touch the ark and immediately die or offer strange fire to the Lord and they were immediately um, killed. And then sometimes the wicked just got away with it. The time godly King Josiah came around, there were sodomites that built houses all along the temple, connected to the temple. And, and you could sit there and watch the wicked come and go. And nothing happened to him. Solomon said, this is vanity and frustration. It's frustrating to see wicked men and evil people in position of power and influence over other Christians. And to watch them come and go freely as they please, seeming without any judgment at all. Men who take the word of God and twist it and turn it for their own filthy gain." And then nothing happens to them. Men who stand up behind a pulpit and and say, say, thus saith the Lord, and then just start making stuff up and telling people to send them their money. And that way they can be wealthy and and using the word of God for their own influence and their own advantage in and out of the holy place. and And they just keep on going, keep on going. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Why does that happen? Why are people so bold in their wickedness? Well, when justice isn't served quickly, men set their hearts to do evil. When you get sentenced to death, and then you have 30 years of appeals, the death sentence loses its power to curb any wickedness. So if you if you murder somebody when you're 25 years old and you get sentenced to death and you're still on death row when you're 55 appealing things, you know, that, that's not any kind of judgment that's going to warn anybody else not to do that. People, some people, you know, people will risk going to jail for 30 years. For a crime, and they weigh it in their mind and say, Well, I'm gonna rob this store and I might get fifteen years for it, but I also might walk away with several thousand dollars. And I think the risk is worth it, so I'm gonna rob the store. I mean that's what they do, it's it's a risk assessment they do, and they say, I would you know, I'm not gonna die. And it's just fifteen years, but oh, think of the reward if I get away with it. So if if you have a judge that says, I'm going to sentence you to death, but not until you're old, then that doesn't curb anybody um, from committing the crime. But, you know, if you said, I'm sentenced you to death and you're going to die in the morning, that might start getting the people think. And that's the point of this. If the, the sentence isn't executed speedily, then the heart of the souls of men is set fully to do evil. Look what's happening in all these big cities where they have those crooked DAs. Somebody will get arrested and they'll throw them in a picture. What happens when you say drugs are illegal but then you don't arrest anybody for selling drugs? When you've got needles laying all over the place and people walking up and down the street high as a kite. That's why, because there's no ju- swift justice, judgment and then so people don't care about doing right or wrong. Well, there's a point to this. Verse 12, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it, is, it shall be well with them that fear God which fear before him. It shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are times, and nothing happens, and 91 and 92, and another time, nothing happens, and he goes on sinning. He thinks he can get away with it. Lightning hasn't struck me down. I haven't had some, some slap from God. It must be well, but it won't be well with the wicked. See, it's not because God is unjust, it's because he is long-suffering and patient. God has promised that the wages of sin is death, and there is a judgment coming for all those who are found outside of Christ. And that judgment day is coming. It's coming, and you say, well, it might not come for 20 or 30 years. Well, it might not come for 20 or 30 years, but the the judgment is coming for eternity. It's a sure thing. And so the sinner thinks, well, I can get away with it because I'm living, I'm still alive, but actually what's happening is the goodness and long-suffering patience of God is seen as leniency, and license in the sinner's eyes; they don't fear God, and it will not go well for the wicked. They might get away with it in this life, but they—but judgment is coming. Payday is coming. It will go for, well for those who fear God, for those who trust in Christ and fear and reverence the Holy One. We stand in awe of His holiness and grace and His loving kindness. We obey him because we love him and are grateful to the Lord and fear him and walk in his ways. But the wicked who should fear God and be in terror of him, don't fear him at all. They ignore God, they ignore his laws, they ignore his ways. But there's the vanity of life. Verse 14. If there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked again. And there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. And I said, this is also his vanity. We know that in eternity, God will set all things right. But under the sun, there are just men who suffer like we think a wicked man should. And the water was east. And the whole way we were driving to church, we'd see people with their boats heading towards the water. We'd pass them um, just the whole time, boat after boat after boat. Um, wealthy people, tons of money, didn't care anything about the Lord. And you say, well, there's, in my, you think, that, that's got it backwards. The thing that's happening to the wicked, being blessed or the thing that, that, in my mind, I think this should happen to the righteous, that the righteous should be blessed. It's happening to the, the wicked. And so Solomon said, this is vanity. It's backwards, it seems like. Because I know that it won't be well with the wicked. It can't be well with the wicked. God is going to judge them, but then I look around, and righteous are getting the reward of the wicked, and the wicked are getting the reward of the righteous, and it's vanity. It's frustrating. I don't understand it. It's like Churchill said about Russia, a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. What are we supposed to do about all this? What does the preacher counsel? What's his advice? What are we supposed to do in a world that's all mixed up? Verse 15, then I committed mirth. Joy is what he says. The preacher counsels joy. Joy. That is his advice to us. A man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor, the days of his life, which God commandeth him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to seek the big to know it, yet he shall not be able to find it. So what do we do with this mixed up world though everything seems like it's backwards and and even when you do the right thing, you suffer for it, or, or the, the wicked get away with everything, it seems like. And, and you're supposed to obey the, the king, but the king um, maybe isn't so righteous. You're supposed to, um, you're supposed to judge the time because um, people are fickle, and times are fickle, and things change. And, and we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't have any control over things that happen to us. We don't have any control of, of the reward people get in this life for what they do. And he says, I commend mirth, I commend joy. That is what the child of God is to do in walking in wisdom. We're to live joyfully. Sometimes the Bible talks about eating and drinking and being merry is a bad thing, but this one is... As he said before, I think it's a positive. Because we're to live being thankful for what God has given us. The world is upside down. Things don't make any sense. It's vanity and vexation of spirit. But look around and be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for the food that you have, the family that you have, the life that you have. Be thankful that you're here. Be thankful for the work that you have and the work that God still has for you. Take everything, every day as a gift from God and worship him and be joyful in it. Because we can't figure this stuff out. Verse 17 tells us that. We can't figure it out. You can try to figure it out. You can say, why, Lord? Why does this happen? Why is it like this? But you're not going to figure it out. The wise man can't figure it out. He thinks he can, but he goes so far and says, you know what, I can't. One preacher said, You got we have to learn to tap out. You know, like the MMA fighting where they get them down and get them in a submission hold and they, they tap out and they quit. They say, Enough, I can't I can't I can't do it. You beat me. Well that his point was, we get to tap out. We, we can't figure this life out because that is the work of God. Our business, though, is to live in joy. We see the business going on under the sun. It's not all that pleasant, but we behold the work of God and we can trust him. I can't figure it out. The wise man can't figure it out. So let us do what God has called we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in bad things and people doing bad things and people attacking good people and people coming in the name of Christ. Um, the, Paul calls them dogs and, and con- the concision and, and the, the mutilators of the flesh and they're attacking God's people. But Paul says rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in what he's done for you, rejoice in what you have in him. And then later on in the book, in Philippians 4 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your thanksgiving, or with supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Rejoice in the Lord. I commend unto you mirth. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, Paul doesn't know suffering. Paul wrote this in jail. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. And what did he say? Let your moderation be known unto all men. Enjoy what God has given you. Don't find your joy in in all the things that God has given you, but rejoice with the things that God has given you. Enjoy your food and be thankful in the God for it and praise his name. Rejoice knowing that we don't know the times. Unless we look at it from the right perspective. We look at it through Christ. That he is in control. Look what he's given you. Look what he's blessed you with even right now. Rejoice in him. Find your hope in him. Find your satisfaction in Christ. Find your peace in Christ. Find your rest in Christ. We look at the vanity, but then we look at Christ who never faltered. He never failed. And we can endure the vanity of this life only by looking to the person of Christ. There has been a king that has been truly just. and He never leaves his subjects astray, and that's King Jesus. There is one king who knows the time and the judgments and will never and set this vanity right. And put things back the way they were supposed to be. Rejoice. Rejoice is the recommendation of both the preacher and the apostle. Rejoice in the Lord. Let's stand be to